0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: That is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think most Canadians uh, probably became aware of the uh, term NCR, NCR. After the uh, gruesome assault on uh, murder or killing, can't say murder, can't, because Vincent Lee was not convicted of murder in the cannibalistic slaying of Tim McLean on that bus in Manitoba. He was not criminally responsible, and now he's free in the world. And uh, what, what's, what's his name now? Um, what the hell is his name? What's his name, Scott.
1: Sorry,
0: I remember his real name, Vince. Will Baker. His name now is Will Baker. Uh He's changed his name to Will Baker. Scott Newark joins us, former Alberta Crown Attorney. Uh, He was the Executive Director also of the Canadian Police Association. And uh, head of the Office of Victims of Crime in uh, the province of Ontario, now adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. So we became aware, most of us in Canada became aware really of the term not criminally responsible at that time because there was no way to avoid that particular case. So let's talk about two cases that have been in the news this particular week. And uh, then I want to talk to you about Clinton Gale, who was looking to be deported to Jamaica after... uh, He's been in jail, what since 1995 or so for...
1: 25 years, yeah. For
0: 25 years after murdering Toronto police officer Todd Bayless. But uh, there's there's uh, Ayanli Hassan Ali. So this is the guy who was engaged in a knife or involved, started a knife attack at a Canadian Armed Forces recruitment center in Toronto. He was declared not criminally responsible. Want well, to start with that and, and, and talk about what's developed here?
1: Well, yeah. Um... I'm glad you referenced the Vince Lee case to start because uh, this is an issue that uh, you certainly followed for quite a long time. I did. And in the old days, for example, when I was a prosecutor, um, the term that was used was insanity. And what really strikes me about these two cases um, is the same kind of stuff we've talked about in relation to Correctional Service of Canada, which is sort of this cultural approach to things. And so. A number of years ago the term got changed from insanity to quote not criminally responsible. Okay? The law is still the same, the criteria is still the same. It's under section 16 of the criminal code, but there is this in my opinion and some of the cases we've discussed over the years and these two that we're going to go into some detail on, the same thing occurs. There's this approach that well, you know, um, he wasn't convicted of murder, so we shouldn't view him as a killer. Um, Look, there's a difference between being convicted and being guilty, okay? These people did what they did. And that doesn't change just because the court proceeding decides that they fit an exception. They still did what they did. None of these three individuals, the two two cases in particular, or Vince Lee, or uh, frankly many other ones,
0: like that cardiologist in Montreal.
1: Yeah, or the guy um, out in uh, British Columbia that uh, that's
0: right killed Murdered his, his children. Kid, or yeah.
1: uh, Alan Schoenborn, or Alan the, Schoenborn. the guy that killed the Toronto police officer. Okay, they they didn't get caught um, and determined to be not criminally responsible because they got caught shoplifting donuts. Right. What brought them to the attention of the authorities was the fact that they committed uh, incredibly violent crimes, including. Causing death to people.
0: And so let me let me, ask, let me ask you. This
1: th- technical interpretation that they've gone now into this other sort of a system, a cultural system, and we're starting to see some of the results that just simply make no sense whatsoever. So
0: put on your prosecutor's hat. Here we have uh, Ayanli Hassan Ali. Yeah. Right. Uh, the top court in Ontario has supported the Ontario Review Board's decision that Ali should be allowed to attend Mohawk College in Hamilton unaccompanied. When the staff at the secure Hamilton Hospital, where he's detained, deems he's ready to go, prosecutors say too much consideration has been given to Ali's needs and not enough to the public public safety. and he's still considered to be a a, a threat to the public. So yes, well what, 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 what put on the prosecutor's hat. What do you have to say about this?
1: Well, the first thing, and about that case in particular, I have to tell you, I don't fully appreciate or understand. Why he was found not criminally responsible? Okay, the criteria: you have to be suffering from a mental disorder, which he apparently was, that either rendered the individual incapable of appreciating the nature and quality of the act. In other words, he didn't know what he was doing. But in this case, the guy certainly did. You know, he concealed the weapons as he went there. His own statements and the evidence that they found showed it was for a specific purpose, um, or knowing that it was wrong. And that's the basis on which the court originally concluded that he was not criminally...
0: So look, I have to ask you this before I forget. Is it because, do these things happen, do these NCR verdicts happen because um, there is a desire to to declare somebody not criminally responsible. There's not an objective standard set, or is it, I mean, why, I guess I'm asking why does it happen? Let me just bring in this, this Montreal cardiologist into the yeah. picture. Here's a guy who murdered his three children. We can say murdered now, because he, even though he was declared not criminally responsible, he then gave interviews saying, oh, I want to be a cardiologist again, I want to have children again, and the prosecutor's bought brought, brought the murder charge again, and the court said this time, yeah. Absolutely. We'll hear it. We'll ch- charge him with murder. Then they convicted him. So what's going on? Why this desire, or is there a desire, to declare somebody who committed a, k- a killing or, 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 or a serious uh, a, a crime not criminally responsible? Is there an over—I don't know. Is there a desire to find the NCR?
1: Well, it's in the law, and, you know, defense counsel's uh, job is to uh, help their client avoid criminal responsibility for their actions.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get the defense counsel part.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, I, amongst the judges, I suppose, in particular, I and, and i got to tell you, I had a couple of cases uh, involving insanity uh, allegations. Uh, none of them were found uh, verified. Um, but very much these cases defend depend on the circumstances of the case, and I'm not specifically familiar with it. I just think on the material that I've read in the media about this particular guy, that it was clear that he made a decision to do what he did, knowing what he was doing, because he had a different set of values. That doesn't mean that he knew, he didn't know that it was wrong. And so I just find it's very strange. It's a, you know, I got to a point, uh, I, I remember once saying uh, in this case, it was a terrible case, a woman beat a baby to death in horrible circumstances. The, uh, they were trying to uh, pursue insanity defense. They said she was suffering from isolated explosive disorder, which I called losing your temper. <laughs> and the point of it was, what struck me at the end about all of this, literally the crime becomes the defense. Yeah, and that's a mistake. Yeah, that's a mistake in my opinion. That's now, like when these that's... cases are different, Roy, because they're really about what happens, how the system deals with these people yeah. after those uh, rulings have been made. And I got to tell you, when you get—and this is on the other case uh, about the guy that was uh, allowed to walk out of the uh, the hospital—he also killed somebody, and then it turned out he left the country. When you get Doug Ford and John Tory agreeing that there's something the matter with the process. That's a good insight that it's time to take a really hard look at yeah, look, because I think that's fundamentally what's going on, What's what the problem is in both of
0: these Scott, cases. there are also situations where, and you know this better than I, where uh, individuals killed someone and were drunk, and then they were deemed to be not guilty because they were too drunk to know what they were doing.
1: Capable of forming the intent. It's a different defense. These are all historical defenses, and I, and I really do want to make that point, too. Because what struck me about both of these cases was, as you and I know, we've talked for years about this. I'm a big supporter of the way our system is built on um, discretion and discretion being exercised by public officials, police, prosecutors, judges. Uh, And I'm very much a supporter of that. But when you see the discretion being used in these kinds of cases, and in this case, it's by the Ontario Review Board, because that's the administrative body that is then supposed to decide the... Status of this of the individuals found not criminally responsible.
0: Well, that's that's the you know, Ontario equivalent. That's the Ontario, Ontario equivalent of of of, uh, of British Columbia and Schoenborn and Manitoba and Vince Lee.
1: Yeah, and now you've got two more in uh, in Ontario uh, that just you know people shake their heads at how they could possibly do it, and mm-hmm. it also raises other systemic questions. On the the other individual that was released out of the uh, the hospital. Uh, who had killed somebody previously and had told everybody that he wanted to go back to China? Uh, he's released from the hospital without any supervision. This is the guy named Zabin Kong. Right. No, he's just allowed to, you know, leave, and he takes off and he's gone. Three. It's like two weeks later before the police even tell people about it. So you him.
0: have in that case of the CAMH in Toronto, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, yeah. uh, Jeffrey Georges Leferve, right, uh, and uh, Jameen Kong, both patients there, uh, went missing. Le according to police, is known to be violent and dangerous. He's been located, but Kong, who was found NCR of second-degree murder, killed another man with a meat cleaver. Yeah, He's he's fled Canada, and psychiatrists testified at the time of the attack he was likely suffering a major schizophrenic attack. He's gone. Um, yeah, and...
1: Both of these individuals had been identified by psychiatric authorities as posing a risk to public safety.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: And in the Kong case, for some reason that nobody has yet gotten an answer for, the hospital says, well, it's okay, Um, he can go out on unescorted passes. How can you make that decision? And again, I go back to the point of, I think, almost that cultural view of things. Well, he's a patient. Like correctional services, that's kind of, you know, right. Accused yeah, clients, individual living in the community. That's right. right.
0: And when the, and if you're imprisoned, and I've have talked about this with uh, with with uh, offenders inside prisons, uh, they laugh at it when they got the correctional service handbook, yeah. and they were described as clients. They yeah. laugh at it. They openly laugh at it.
1: See, and I think that's what is the is getting into the culture of the uh, mental health uh, community. And whether it, it's one thing if you're dealing with just people with mental health issues. But these, you know, that's why I go back to that point that I made. These guys got there because of what they did, which was killing people. Yes. So, okay, fine, we say they didn't meet the legal criteria, but that doesn't change the fact that they killed somebody unlawfully.
0: Right. So Let, let me take a you
1: break. So we expect more from the uh, authorities in how they manage these cases.
0: I'm going to take a break, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back, and we'll talk about, um, about Clinton Gale and the, yeah. the story. there's a big story. I just, I, I keep shaking my head. Vincent Lee, Will Baker, <laughs> you know. If you run into somebody called Will Baker, go the other way. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. Back with Scott Newark, former Alberta prosecutor, professor at Simon Fraser University. You know what? I just keep, you, you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. I just keep going back to that conversation we had with that Correctional Service Canada representative yeah. who said of everybody in the country who is law abiding and respects the law and tries to live according to a public standard, you're non convicted individuals living in the community. That speaks to me about exactly what it's all about.
1: Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Yep. It's. Uh, I think it's at the core of the uh, the problem and the only way to uh, deal with it and to remove it is to actually, when you get the examples of cases where that kind of approach has obviously had an influence, is to put it under the microscope and expose it and hold people accountable. <laughs> and the other one, That's one was... That's what needs to be done in those two NCR cases.
0: Yeah, and the other one was... Well, I got a communique, uh, f- f- otherwise known as a phone call. I'm just trying to be politically in- in- interesting here. Um, from a guard or somebody said he was a guard at kingston prison and told me enough that i believed that he was right that he was what he said he was and told us that some guy by the name of bernardo was having conjugal visits right. and we called correctional service Canada to find out and they, their response was Mr. Bernardo has his rights, like any other uh, offender in our system, and we're not going to tell you anything. Mr. Bernard- they said, Mr. Bernardo has his rights. That was the end of the conversation, Scott.
1: Yeah, and actually uh, we did, if you recall, some digging into it, and he didn't actually qualify for the, uh, the policy of having the conjugal visits. They just gave it to him because they were friendly with him. They thought it was a good way to manage him. And they, I believe they even referred to him as Cliffy.
0: Oh yeah, that was that was uh, that was uh, uh, um, Olson.
1: Yeah, that's right. right.
0: I'm not talking about I'm talking about Bernardo. Same
1: attitude, however. Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, about Clinton Gale wanting to be deported to Jamaica, tell the story.
1: It's a it's a complicated case, as you may remember. I was very much involved in this case back in uh, uh, the '90s when I was at the Canadian Police Association. This guy was a, a career criminal. Uh, who had been uh, released from custody, uh, uh, shot and killed uh, Constable Todd Bayless, and wounded another uh, officer. And the, uh, the Khrushchev government covered everything up. And I was able to, through my some of my contacts, I was able to actually find out what happened with this guy and why he was back on the street in the first place. And, again, as I say, it's complicated, but literally the guy was released from his uh, previous conviction, um, and in those days, that meant he was just released on the streets. Uh, he was order, being ordered deported, which, so they picked him up and he was in custody. The Jamaican government was not cooperating with giving us the travel documents to get him back, so he was released on bail and he went back to his business and ended up killing the uh, Toronto police officer. We ended up actually changing the law because of that so that the release now by law must be made to the immigration people for deportation. And as I read the story, it looks like they have finally got everything in order such that they will be able to literally if if and when or ever he is released, to literally put him in a car and take him to an airport and send him back to
0: Jamaica. Now he wants to go to back he wants to go back to Jamaica.
1: Yes, well, you know, if the alternative is is staying in custody, you can imagine why he probably does. Uh,
0: well, let me, I don't quite understand. Was he? Did he want to go back to Jamaica to finish his sentence, or did he want to no, go back to no, Jamaica and be released? He was
1: actually, at 25 years, he is, uh, that's what he was, his parole ineligibility was. Right. So he had his first chance at 15 years, uh, yep. the Faint Hope Clause. That's right, he got rid of. grandfathered. He was turned down. Then he, uh, just, just last month, he applied for uh, parole, and uh, the board turned him down as well, too. But it, as I read this, the article, in, in some ways I think that's infor- unfortunate because he literally would have been sent back to Jamaica where he'd probably end up you know, with a bullet in his head. Um, you know, think of the case we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, those two guys who were killers. One was a killer, one was a serious uh, violent offender that uh, were uh, uh, given minimum security and walked away. That's right. What happens if uh, William judge decides you're going to put this guy uh, in that minimum security thing and he, and he walks away? Personally, I think a better decision in terms of, uh, you know, uh, public safety and also about not having taxpayers have to pay for this guy is to send him back to Jamaica.
0: You know what? I just remember that William had prison because we were talking about that prison in the, in the early 90s. It was in the news, and they have – it's set up like a little community, like, right. it's like, like a suburb. It's got little streets and yeah. little condo units. And uh, an eight foot fence and no guards other than that eight foot fence, and so it goes. Scott, thank you always. Okay, Roy. Scott Newark, former Crown Prosecutor in Alberta, Adjunct Professor at Simon Fraser University, and he was the Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites.